If you were to invite an important person to your home, you would go to great lengths to make them welcome. In my Irish Catholic family, the old ones, you would polish the silver, you'd make sure that the crystal was absolutely clear, the linens were pressed neat, the, the dishes were porcelain, and, and all this was cleaned. You would have all kinds of preparations going on, all kinds of food, all kinds of drink. It would just be a, a big production. So you can imagine how it was that when Jesus comes to the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, we're told that Martha goes to great lengths to prepare for our Lord. And while she's going through all this, Mary seems to be dogging it. Rather than helping Martha, as she expects, she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. Martha finally, I guess, gets upset and says, Lord, can't you see all I'm doing for you to make you welcome? And Mary's not doing anything. Tell her to help me. And quite unexpectedly, to our minds, he said, Martha, you're worried about many things. Mary has chosen the better part. And I'm not going to take it away from her. You would think almost it was a slight to Martha, but really it was a point of acknowledging what he really wants. Martha was busy about the preparations of our Lord's reception into her earthly home. Mary was giving him the hospitality that he desired more, which was that hospitality into her mind, heart, and will. She was listening to him. She was receiving him in a way that he preferred merely to the reception of an ordinary house guest. And so that lesson for us is the same today. We have to be busy about many things in this world. You have concerns for your family, your children, their education, provision of your life, how you're going to get gas, how you're going to get food today for many people, the question. And we have to be concerned about these things. But there must also be in our lives a part that we set apart for receiving Christ into our minds and our hearts and our wills, to give him hospitality, which is really more important to him than these other things. Now, there are many ways to do this. We could read the scriptures, the word of God. We could, there are many devotions. Um, I find the rosary to be a very good uh, way of contemplating the mysteries of the person of Christ and his mysteries of salvation. Just in the quiet of my own individual heart, to think about the mystery, what it means, how it ties into the other mysteries, how it ties into the entire plethora of the teachings of our church. And insights come to me every once in a while that strike me. I hadn't thought about that before. I didn't realize that. And it helps me. Um, but the real mystery that I think that we can give more than anything else to is that if we try to contemplate all the virtues of our Lord's life. I read not too long ago in one of the commentaries of the, of the Gospels, there was a, I think it was, a, it was an abbot, 
in one of the monasteries. He set about in his life trying to acquire one by one all the virtues that he recognized in the life of Christ. He thought that that was a way to obtain perfection. And he, he, he found one virtue after another virtue after another. And then he finally realized, you know, this is really not the right way to do it. He thought that only there's only three things that you need to do. Consider Christ's certitude, absolute certitude of his vocation. What it was he was to do. Why he came to be with us. Secondly, his courage. His heroic courage in carrying out everything the Father had given him to do. And thirdly, his kindness towards the people who came in contact with him. He realized, if I just do those things, if I imitate Christ in that way, in those ways, I will achieve perfection in my life more and more. Now, of all the devotions that I have found helpful to me, the most effective one is this, the prayer of the heart. To realize that the Lord wants our hearts. He doesn't want words. He doesn't want ticks on a clock. We cannot judge the quality of our lives, our prayer lives, by the time we spend in prayer or the number of devotions we have. The quality of our prayer life will be determined by are we giving him his heart, our hearts, on the cross, he gave his heart to us that he might draw us to give our hearts to him. And so I find it most helpful when I am tempted, when I am anxious, fearful, or angry. And yes, priests get angry. But when I get angry, I can visualize our Lord's face, his glorious face, crushed in suffering, as he's dying on the cross, looking at me, saying, Really? You're mad at him? Look what you did to me. And it's hard to stay angry with somebody like that. But especially when I'm tempted. I want to run and take refuge in the sacred wounds of our Lord as he is dying. And see in those wounds the bitter, brutal suffering pain he endured. And that's where I can get in touch with some degree of the enormity of the ferocious, unconquerable love that God bears me, that God bears each one of us, is that when I contemplate the enormity of his suffering, then I come to realize he loves me with a love that is more than that. His love for me is greater than his suffering because it could not overcome his love for me even when he sought me in my shameful, selfish worst. His sufferings could not overcome his love for me. St. John Chrysostom tells us that God loves each one of us with the same love with which he loves the entire world. He loves each one of us <clears throat> as though we were the only ones, as though he did it for nobody else but me, but you, as though he did it for nobody else but that one person who prays. And what I've come to realize in this is that 
First of all, the devil will not follow you to the foot of the cross. He will not go there. There is true refuge there. Um, and we should take advantage of it. And the second thing is, when you begin to meditate upon this, and the prayer of the heart doesn't involve any effort. There's <clears throat> no, we're not trying to find some special words that will find favor in God's sight that will help us to make our presence known to him. We don't talk to him. We listen to him. He teaches us from the cross. We listen to him. So in the silence of our hearts, in the, in the silence of our minds, without words, even for a few seconds, I want to encourage you to embrace this prayer of the heart. Over and over and over again throughout the day, when you come to realize that, especially when things are going well, but also in times of trial, trouble, anxiety, fear, and especially in times of temptation, run and take refuge in his sacred wounds. If the devotion lasts a long time, go with it as long as you have the time. If it lasts only a couple of seconds, fine, give it to him. Whatever it is that nourishes this devotion of the prayer of the heart, feed it. And don't be concerned with whether or not, you know, example, whether or not you finish your rosary. Some people think that if you don't do the whole, if you don't say the whole five decades, you really haven't prayed. Foolishness. If you woke up in the middle of the night and you began to pray your rosary and you fell asleep after saying only three Hail Marys, do you think God's going to say to you, well, you didn't finish it, so I didn't count? No. He doesn't count the words. He wants your heart. And the other thing about this is our faithfulness to God is going to be measured by our love for him. To the extent we love him, we will follow him. To the extent we love him, we will embrace the difficulties of faithfulness to him. To that extent and to that extent alone. So we have to grow in the love of God. In order to become more faithful, we have to come to an ever greater love of God. And I don't know any other way to increase our love for God. We don't gin it up within ourselves. I can't just say, well, I'm going to love God more today than I did yesterday. Because if it's our will, it won't cut it. The only way we're going to grow in the love of God on an ongoing basis is that we must first and always grow in an ever greater awareness and realization of how much God loves you. That's the motive. And the only effective motive I know of for you to grow in the love of God is to realize more and more how much he loves you. And even if he could have lessened his suffering by casting me away from him when he died, he did not do it, nor will he do it for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We can separate ourselves from the love of God. Well, nothing can separate us from his heart. Now, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. I want you to bear with me. You come to Mass. <clears throat> you come to the sacrament of the Paschal Mystery of Christ, which is what the Mass is. It's the sacrament of his 
suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, and communion. Every time the Mass is offered, we are given a new access to that Paschal mystery. It's not repeated. It's not done again. It's the very same Paschal mystery that our Lord embraced 2,000 years ago. His Paschal mystery is not bound by the restrictions of space and time as are things in our lives. He is beyond time and space. And so every time the Mass is offered, by God's grace and the power he gave the church, we are given a new access to that mystery. That very same mystery of 2,000 years ago, with one exception. It is the glorified Christ we receive in Holy Communion. But nonetheless, it is that Paschal mystery, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension. And we are given new access to it, invited to insert ourselves into it, and in with and through Christ offer ourselves to the Father. I think of it this way, like a farmer who drills a well seeking an underground body of water. And when he taps into it, he brings that water to the surface to give his life-giving qualities to his crops. And so that image I use to talk about the church when the Mass is offered. Every time the Mass is offered, the church taps into that sacred mystery of the Paschal mystery of Christ, and we are given a new access to it. Now, if and he does, if Christ can make himself present to us because he's not bound by space and time, neither is he bound by space and time as to what he could see as he's suffering and dying. He sees all. He sees us here and now today. And if we learn to pray this prayer of the heart that I hope you'll think about, we, as we place ourselves at the foot of the cross, as he is dying with his blessed mother. And we gaze upon his sacred wounds. We gaze upon his glorified face, crushed in suffering for love of us. When he sees us adoring him in his suffering and death, don't you think it would console him to see the sufferings that he's enduring, bearing fruit in our minds and hearts and our wills, that as he can make himself present to us in the Mass, so perhaps we can make ourselves present to him and adore him and love him. And I think it will console him. So I want you to think about these things. If you find a better way, let me know. And until then... I'm going to keep doing that, and I hope that you'll think about it as well. He wants your heart. Whatever it is that helps you give your heart to him, nourish it and feed it, and may God bring to perfection in your lives the good work he has begun in you.